Hello, friends. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Bueno, and we are continuing uh, the... What do I... How do I even term this time? I'm sharing some really personal stuff, and this episode is no different. And... I just kind of want to get into what you're going to hear today. I do want to make sure to let listeners know that there is some content in this episode that might be triggering for many folks. We do talk about minor attracted persons, which the vernacular calls pedophilia. And I experienced my own trauma trigger in this episode. So this episode was so personal. What I decided to do is air it in its totality, uh, you'll you'll hear me call out my editor in the midst of it and tell her to stop. But I actually want to just share the whole thing and how it went, and we'll do that. And then I actually invited my husband, Rich Bueno, to join me at the end to essentially share essentially why I'm sharing this whole thing with all of you, as well as where I am now and sort of the process of healing that I went through. You know, sexual trauma is something that for for many of us can feel so private and so shameful or confusing. And truthfully, this is this is probably the most intimate that I've ever got. It's definitely the most intimate I've ever gotten on this podcast. And, you know, I I think I've mentioned before, I was raised in a family where, you know, sexuality on one end, my dad was quite hypersexual. And, you know, I, I really hate the term sex addict, but he falls under that category. So, you know, sort of the sex addict side of the spectrum. And then on the other hand, my my mother was quite conservative, not quite extraordinarily conservative. And I think I've shared in an episode before, uh, you know, she was forced to have an abortion at a young age. And I think that her attempts to shame and tamp down my sexuality were an attempt to not have me go through what it was that she went through. So I had these two extremes of sexuality on on either side of me that created a lot of confusion. And and then having this experience of sexual trauma leading to an understanding of sexual abuse in a different way. So this is a lot. It's a big episode. It's a long episode. And my hope is that if anybody out there, you know, resonates with any of this, that you know that you're not alone and there is healing. It sometimes takes a long time, but there is healing and your path might look extraordinarily different from my path. At least I'm, I'm certain it will because my path is not, not linear and won't make a lot of sense to everybody, but it is what it is. So I want to introduce you to the guest that I interviewed and then, well, let me just do that first. So Nicoletta Heidegger, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist and sexologist currently pursuing her PhD in human sexuality. When not seeing clients, she hosts the sex positive, shame-free educational podcast, Sluts and Scholars. So make sure you go check out Sluts and Scholars I just want to give Nicoletta a shout out right now. The way that she held me when I experienced this trigger as we're talking, I I just, 
I just can't say enough about how much I I, I love her. I barely know this woman. <laughs> we spent so little time together, but you know, I just I I love her for what she is doing in the realm of sex positivity, and I love and appreciate the way that she held me throughout this interview. So. You know, just to give listeners kind of a frame. So about 30 minutes into the interview, that first part is where we're talking a lot about the minor attracted persons. So if you don't want to hear that and you want to just kind of skip to my personal experience, that happens about 30 minutes in. And and then we're all talking about me, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. It is what it is. Anyway, I'm going to stop rambling and let you enjoy the amazing, beautiful, sexy brain of Nicoletta Heidegger. <laughs> Hello, Nicole. Hi. <laughs> You're already making me laugh. I wish listeners could see you were doing a little little dance, a little wave before we started. Yeah, and it was pumped. Totally amazing. Well, hi, Nicole. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I, you know, that's a lie. That's like an automatic answer. Um, <laughs> right? Right? Fine. How are you? I'm fine. Things are crazy. Like life is heavy and the last couple of weeks have been really tough. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for your honesty around yeah. that. It's hard to like remember to not just answer automatically. Right. Absolutely. Well, why don't you start with telling people who you are and what you do first. Let's go there. So my name is Nicoletta Heidegger. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist based out of Los Angeles, California. I specialize in sex therapy and I'm, I guess, what you would call a sexologist, meaning I study sex. And Sarah and I met at the podcast movement in good old Orlando, Florida. Orlando. That was a trip. It was fun. I had a great time. <laughs> it was totally fun. Or I just... I hadn't been to Orlando since I'd been to Disney World, and I remembered it very differently. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Disney World, so yeah. But, so the podcast movement was much more fun than Disney World. Yeah, totally. <laughs> anyway, we had so much fun together that weekend, and Tristan, whose episode is going to be airing before this airs, you know, we just had so much fun, all of us together. And I was I was just so grateful to find like my tribe of kind of people there amongst all of the wealth podcasters and other things that are way outside of our realm. Yeah, we found each other easily, probably because Tristan and Sarah both have like great hair. And yep. so I think they were like, oh, you must be like sex positive or queer yeah. or kinky or like some some something exactly exactly right yeah totally <laughs> yeah but it was great so obviously I also host a podcast called sluts and scholars when I'm not seeing clients in private practice so yeah we we love our podcasts totally so give us the journey of Nicoletta how did you come to be a sexologist and a podcaster and, and all of the intersections of who and what you are oh gosh that's Start from the beginning, day one. <laughs> I was born at Cedar Sinai mm -hmm. Hospital at 1 p.m. I'm a Gemini. When, oh, happy birthday then. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, June 2nd. I grew up 
in Chatsworth, which is in the San Fernando Valley, which is mostly known for pornography, which I'm a you know oh, big really? fan and consumer of. Charles Manson, which I can't <laughs> say I'm a big fan of, but Not definitely have <laughs> definitely have researched a lot around that. Mm-hmm. And it's also one of the sites of the biggest nuclear meltdown cover-ups. So it's wow. a very I love Chatsworth. It's just a very strange energy place, but also has a lot of beautiful nature and cool rock formations. So luckily my parents raised me in more suburban area. And I think I'm grateful for that because a little more down to earth than maybe the rest of LA. So I grew up doing a lot Mm. of outdoor stuff and nature stuff. And my parents were pretty liberal growing up just in terms of how they raised me. They never like limited my self-expression. So they always tell me stories of how I would like go to the park and take my clothes off. Or we used to live across the street from a park and I used to go and well, now I know I was masturbating, but I would like grind up and down the pole at the park Uh, and do mm -hmm. my exercises as I like to call them. (laughs) And so I had really strong upper body strength by the end of that. And oh my God, I just, yeah, they never shamed me. So I I kind of just, Mm. I was always, I think like exuding sexuality from a young age so I would literally Mm. go to the park and like troll for boys so like boys would be playing like baseball or t-ball and I would go and like strut around and like meet boys when I was like a young thing so I was always pretty expressive and that sort of resulted in me feeling pretty comfortable to talk about sex and sex related things so folks ended up coming to me to be the one to answer sex questions. And then in high school, my sister had this babysitter who had given me an old DVD copy of Nina Hartley's Guide to Better Fellatio when I was like just starting high school. And she also taught me that she never hooked up with anyone unless they went and got tested together. Oh, and so this was like a kind of a start of safer sex conversations. Then I kind of took that into through high school and into college and worked at the sexual health resource center and the peer counseling center. I ended up writing a sex column for the Stanford daily while I was the mascot of my college. So it was called sex talks with the tree. And then, yeah, I had a great therapist growing up too. So it all came together. Yeah. The short, ver- the short version. <laughs> yeah. And you're you're under 30, right? I just turned 29. You just turned 20. Tw- right. Like, I remember meeting you and assuming you were around my age, not because you look old, but just because you have this, like, wisdom about you. And it's just saying all of these things and experiences, and you're only 29. And I, I hope that doesn't sound demeaning. It's just, it's quite impressive, actually. <laughs> no, not at all. I like it. I, I'm kind of a spiritual person. So I, I believe in like yeah. old, old souls. So I feel like mm-hmm. it's not my first time around the life block. Exactly. So it's yeah, I, I feel like my husband is that way, too. And he's he's less of a like, I'm doing all these things kind of old soul, but more of a like, I'll do whatever now because I've already done it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he's over it. He's like on his way out. He's over it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's I have always fantasized about what my life would have been like if sexuality was not forbidden in my household. And it's just it's just really beautiful to hear how your parents were because I, I imagine there's probably a fine line between like pushing a child into a situation that's not age appropriate for them, but just letting them be themselves and exploring sexuality in such a what sounds like for you such a natural way. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, that doesn't mean there weren't some, you know, negative messages. I think there was still some pressure around like virginity and and what that held and what that oh, meant. Oh, really? Well, not not in terms of like pressure to not do anything necessarily, but my mom was sort of more trying to get me to make sure that I took that next that step to first penetration when I was emotionally and physically ready for any of the consequences. Right. So she actually devised this instead of getting like, what is it called? I just forgot when people give you money to do chores, <laughs> an allowance. Oh, an allowance. Yeah. <laughs> instead of getting an allowance, my mom was like, I will give you a virginity bonus if you wait until you're 17 to have penetration. Oh my goodness. And she didn't say penetration. She said virginity. But I say that now right. because I think the concept of virginity is totally bogus. But so I I'd love to hear wait. more about that. Let's get back to that after you finish the story. For sure. So I didn't wait for that because of the virginity bonus, but I did happen to wait. And so I did get the virginity bonus. Good. But, you know, she was supportive before and I went to the gynecologist and I was obviously doing sex activity before that. So I don't know. I think that's definitely an interesting cultural part of sexual shame. Oh my God. And and, I mean, I grew up in a household where, you know, the sexual shame was probably stereotypical of what you always hear, right? Like my mom was very religious and she had actually been forced about it. (laughs) Well, it it, not only don't talk about it, but don't even think about it. You know, it's inappropriate to have thoughts about it. My mom was forced to have an abortion when she was in her early twenties. And so that led for her to want to do everything she could to prevent me from getting pregnant instead of actually like providing Um. contraception or gynecological support. Yeah. And she had said to me, so fear-based. Oh, Oh, my mother was so afraid. She she had said, yes, understandable, right? Like imagine being non-consensually forced to Mm -hmm. have an abortion and like the trauma that can cause. Exactly. This this intergenerational shit. Yeah. You know, I've done, done so much trauma work and especially recently, like since we've gone into lockdown, like the trauma stuff has come to the surface and just recognizing the depth of trauma that both my parents experienced that prevented like... There was this hyposexuality on my mom's side and then hypersexuality on my dad's side. And so the intersection of that was so internally confusing. Mm. Most of the clients I see are dealing with some level of sexual shame. And so mm-hmm. that's probably the most common thing that I see that I just assume is going to be there in some right. way, shape or form. And I mean, how many Americans don't have sexual shame? I think that's part of our larger culture generally anyway. Yeah. And I mean, back to the virginity thing, I think the shame surrounding that is that there is something, there's assumed that there's something less good or worthy about you once you've Mm -hmm. let somebody put something inside of you. And I don't even use that term virginity, you know, with clients and stuff. Obviously, if they use it first, I might talk about what that means, but I prefer terms like sexual debut or first consensual sex experience. And that's one of the first things I do with clients is ask them, like they often come in for sex related stuff. And I say, well, how do you define sex? Yeah. And what does that mean to you? And really trying to re-narrate what sex means Mm -hmm. because usually they mean penetration. Right. Right. I love sexual debut. It's a party. (laughs) It's a party. And I imagine that in some cultures there must have been you know, rituals and celebrations around that we don't have in our American culture because of the the fear of sex. 
Potentially. I'm not familiar with many. I know there's other lots of cultures, especially native ones that do a lot of rituals around menstruation and Mm -hmm. first menstrual period, as opposed to like your journey when you get your period. I imagine it exists, but not in our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm also thinking too, like the idea of virginity must be rooted in patriarchal ideologies, right? Because if a woman needs to be pure for, but a man certainly doesn't, right? Like what? (sighs) Yeah, I'm just super sexist. I know. I'm just waking up to all the intersections of like racism, capitalism, patriarchy, all of it. (laughs) So this is yet another area where I'm like, oh, fuck, there it is. And it's tough because I do see clients who are of different religions and spiritualities and cultural practices. And so I do get folks who wait until marriage or who haven't done anything sexual before they, you know, were partnered in a marriage. And so it's not really for me to say like, oh, well, you're definitely like a result of patriarchal sexist bullshit. You know, I'm not going to like lecture them. And we explore their reasonings behind that. We explore the impact that that had. And sometimes it feels like an empowered choice. And other times it felt like they were told no, 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 no. And now that they're allowed to have sex, they like are struggling to make it happen because it's so hard to make that transition from like, this is bad to, okay, now you can do it in this situation. And I'm I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I imagine somebody assume, somebody not knowing anything about a sexologist would think like, oh, you're going to like want me to have sex and you're going to try to convince me of all these things. But I, I think that that's the beauty of being sex positive is that whatever, whatever way that manifests for you is what you're in support of, right? Yeah, it's definitely hard sometimes, though, if I hear that something is harming somebody, you know, emotionally or mentally, but I also try to meet clients where they're at. I imagine I'm more of a liberal sex therapist than some. So I think people can maybe get that from talking Mm -hmm. to me first or reading or listening to my stuff. And I mostly just use it as like a model for open conversation as opposed to like pushing my views on others. Exactly. But definitely decreasing shame is a goal. Right. And that's a conversation that I'm seeing a lot of therapists have right now when we think about, okay, we actually need to be talking about race in sessions, but we don't want to also push our social justice agendas on people. So it's I'm glad we're having this conversation and I can relate it to this area as well, because it is your job to point out where somebody might be unknowingly hurting themselves based on a a viewpoint that is a cognitive distortion or is, you know, a trauma response or whatever, and yet giving them space to have their own reaction. Yeah. I mean, with the social justice component, I I do believe that, you know, now as therapists, we're not the like Freudian style blank slate people who just sit there and nod. And while meeting with my clients is not my opportunity to work through my own stuff, I am pretty like humanistic style, meaning that I try to be, you know, authentic and and myself. And sometimes I'll self-disclose things Mm -hmm. if it feels like it would be helpful for clients, especially now with all of this going on. And I definitely bring up political and race stuff with everything that's going on. Like it Mm -hmm. just can't be ignored. And I feel like it does have a necessary place in the work that we're doing because it it is personal. Right. Yeah. I've made the decision that I know it is political, but for me, it's no longer political. It's just a human issue. Mm -hmm. Yes, a human issue. That's then what gives me the like checkbox to, okay, I can talk about this in session. Right. And I have worked with people from different beliefs. I think 
I also work with folks who are kind of on both sides of spectrums, whether that be how they identify politically, but also like victim and abuser spectrums. So Mm, I've worked with people mm -hmm. all along that. So trying to find empathy for people that I might not agree with or who are maybe deemed by others as canceled or monsters or right evil i i love that you brought that up and now that's that's reminding me that we had a short very short conversation about this when we were in orlando because i i had asked you from a sex positive viewpoint and this is very controversial so trigger warning for people who are struggling to hold the nuance of this but thinking of pedophilia as a sexual orientation not to condone that it's okay to have sex with children but just recognizing that that just like homosexuality it's not necessarily a choice and instead of just like you said canceling somebody really really helping support the exploration of what's going on internally so that they can not act out and harm somebody else Yeah. So that's a a population that I work with. I guess the larger population might call themselves NOMAPS, which stands for non-offending minor attracted person. Oh, Um, wow. Thank you for sharing that. I hadn't heard that term before. So what that means is someone who is attracted to people below the age of consent. So it's pretty Mm. broad and folks within that realm are very diverse And so some people are equally as interested in adults as they are to a certain age group. They may have a preferred gender. So yeah, more and more research coming out now is showing that the development of that interest mimics other sexual orientations in when it's Hmm. formed, in how it's formed, and Hmm. in how it maintains over time, and in how, just like with being gay, attempts to change people's orientations were not successful and were unethical, we're seeing the same thing for that type of attraction. Wow. That's so, I'm, thank you. (laughs) Just thank you. (laughs) Well, for the people who this is triggering for, I think the approach is for those folks as one, think of it as one from a preventative standpoint. Right. You know, we live in a culture that often cleans things up afterward. I mean, look at how big our Mm -hmm. prison system is. And so Mm -hmm. I personally firmly believe that just because someone has the attraction doesn't mean they're doing anything about it. And if you have been raised in our culture, which is a fear-based culture, and you feel like Mm -hmm. whenever you hear that, you imagine like that they're going to offend against a child, whatever your viewpoint, we need preventative measures Mm -hmm. that are research informed and human centered to help support this population. If only to protect children, I I do it because I also care about all humans. But if you don't care about that population and you actually want to protect kids, then it's something to consider. Right. And that also speaks to how important it is to create a space for those folks to come because imagine right the world now where all we're doing is shaming and demonizing and then folks are not going to feel like they can even come forward and ask for help whereas you're creating a space saying hey i'm i am really really here to to take care of you and help you figure this out in a way that is not going to be harmful to other people or yourself yeah that's what inspired me to first work with folks like that i was in my graduate program at a school called widener where I was doing a master's in human sexuality. And we had somebody come visit our class who identified as a non-offending pedophile. 
or non-offending minor attracted person. And they had described how for like a decade plus they had been trying to find a therapist Mm -hmm. and every person they went to refused to work with them and didn't provide them with any referrals. Wow. So that to me was just, I don't know, really, really sad and heartbreaking and also just kind of a failure of our field to not have Mm -hmm. an established quality of care as we do with maybe other folks and other populations. So that and because my sexuality is such an important part of everything I do in life, I was trying to imagine what could I do if I didn't have an outlet to express this part of myself. So those two things together, I think, allowed me to have more empathy. And then as I did more research and wasn't just coming from a fear-based approach, which was kind of inaccurate, I was Mm -hmm. able to understand more. That's badass. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And I I really think, I really think, you you said you were into spirituality, so I'm going to kind of shift into that space. Like, We are at a precipice right now where I think if we do not figure out as a culture how to embrace a non-binary, non-dualistic way of thinking, we are going to be fucked, right? And this, what you're talking about, it it does require for people to hold that nuance. And I'm just, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that listeners will understand that part of this conversation and not just shut it out and be triggered by, by the concept. Actually, a lot of my clients who are survivors have been super interested in this topic and are more really? like drawn to it because they sort of understand the nuances. And at the same time, mm. I also empathize and understand why people are like, fuck no, and just like shut it down yeah. because mm-hmm. it is fear-based. It is trauma-based. It mm-hmm. is protective-based. You know, your your mind, your body is telling you to protect itself in the way maybe it knows how. And so mm-hmm. I understand that. So understandable yeah. if you're like, fuck this girl and fuck this topic. <laughs> well, we'll put we'll put a little just note of caution at the beginning, just so that people know what they're they're getting into as they listen to this. But and whenever I- whenever I've spoken about this on podcasts or radio shows or whatever, the amount of emails of support I've gotten have been overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Actually, I haven't. Mm. There has been some hate comments and hate mail and things like that, but the amount of people that I get saying I am a minor attracted person or I'm dating someone who's a minor attracted person is huge. So I think it's important to know that like they're out there, you know, right. (laughs) There's a lot more than you might think. Right. And I'm, I'm curious because obviously we need to have some sort of accountability for harm that's caused. I'm curious Obviously, just sending people to jail is the stupidest answer to that. What, if anything, are you seeing out there that that's a different offering for a minor attracted person who may have committed an offense against a child? Well, something I specialize in is the non-offending folks. So usually mm-hmm. I work with people who are at a stage where they're like, I know I have this attraction. I'm committed to not doing anything about mm-hmm. it. I don't mm-hmm. want to harm children. I want to find community and consensual healthy ways for me to Mm. express my romantic and sexual interests. So I work more with that. But you know, there are folks who have offended as well that I worked with, but a little bit less. That one's a little bit tough, because a lot of the research that I've read around that, just because you have the attraction, it doesn't mean that you're going to offend, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. And so on the flip side, just because you have 
harmed a child or committed an offense against a child doesn't mean that you have the attraction. So there are other oh, reasons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so cool. there's other reasons that maybe don't mm -hmm. meet the criteria for the attraction um, that people harm yeah. others and harm children. Mm. So we might be dealing with other stuff. We might be dealing with some personality disorder issues, mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. lack of empathy, potentially mm. that mixed with past trauma. So mm. it really depends what's going on for that person. In Germany, they have this approach called Project Dunkelfeld, which has kind of had mixed reviews among the minor attracted people in the States. But I think it's tough because we do have a very necessary need to mandate report if right. some harm is happening to a child. So yeah, I think it's the treatment is subjective based on what's actually going on mm -hmm. for the person. Mm -hmm. You're just brilliant. <laughs> I mean, I already knew you were smart, but like everything that you're saying right now is just is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It's also making me think about R. Kelly is probably like the the most prolific person who seems to be committing these offenses. And I just finished, I think, Epstein. like the, the third. Well, fuck. Oh, true. Yeah. Duh. Thank you. Obviously, like you can't diagnose them or anything like that. So I, I don't expect you to do that. But I'm just I'm curious what you've seen in either of those specials that that is of note and noteworthy to share. I think the the sociopathic level of narcissism mm -hmm. and sort of lack of of remorse, lack of empathy for others, entitlement to people and the world mm -hmm. and to things that seems to be the common right. ground that I've noticed and not saying that there can't be maybe treatment options for that as well. But to me, that's more of the issue than the potential attraction. But right. on mm -hmm. the other hand, with R. Kelly, a lot of those folks are, are teens. So there is a differentiation between people who prefer prepubescent children, oh, which is okay. pedophiles, mm -hmm. and people who prefer early adolescents or teens, which is hebophiles. Oh, or ephebophiles, okay. which is teens. But I always find that interesting because we also live in a culture that sexualizes young women. Yeah, and so I know right. earlier I was saying I was a sexual person. That doesn't mean I'm asking to be abused by somebody. Right, right. Um, and everything out there is all about youth. You know, youth is beauty. Youth is yeah. sexual. Mm -hmm. Youth is attractive. So it's interesting that, you know, obviously teen porn and stuff like that is one of the most popular porn categories. So I'm not saying it should be allowed, but I think as a culture, we need to reflect some of the messaging out there that is sort of shaping what is attractive to people. Right. Right. Mm. I, yes, the wheels are just like turning and I don't like almost don't even know what to ask yet, but <laughs> I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Hmm. It's a tough line because... I don't want to desexualize children. I think a lot of folks, whether mm. it's because of fear or they just are uncomfortable with sexuality, like I, children have a sexuality from birth or even before in the womb. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, trying to figure out how do we hold space for that while also making sure that folks don't take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, to, you know, shift this into the healer talk, I am curious whether it's it's personal or professional, just your the way that you intertwine spirituality and sexuality. Hmm. That's kind of just a big, broad category. I want you to take it wherever it feels relevant. 
Yeah, I think so. I guess by blood, I am proud to be Ashkenazi Jewish. My paternal roots are like Christian based. I did grow up going to church and temple at different Mm -hmm. times, but not super intense practicing. Like I didn't have a bat mitzvah or or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but I was baptized as a, like a teen by choice. Yeah. It's interesting. There was a time where I was all about the virginity purity thing for a brief time. But if I'm being honest with myself, I just wanted to meet cute boys at the teen ministry at church. (laughs) Same. So like I went, but the whole time I was like still trolling, even though I'm like, yeah, let's go on this purity retreat to the snow. Nobody forced me to go. I was just like, there are some parts about church and stuff that I, that I enjoyed. And so that didn't last for very long, but definitely interesting, <laughs> interesting. But in terms of my spirituality, I don't know if I have a label for it. I think I consider my Jewish heritage to be like one of ethnicity and like mm-hmm. pride. Spiritual practice, though, I'm all about nature. So I just believe in like energy and nature. So I guess you could mm-hmm. call it like Celtic shamanism or like, I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. it's Wiccan maybe. So that's kind of how I practice. I, I love rocks. I collect a lot of rocks. I love plants. Yeah. I love being in nature. So to me, the connection between sexuality and that is just energy. So like how you share energy with people, how you mm-hmm. can sit with energy within yourself mm-hmm. and kind of the mind, body, spirit connection. So like noticing changes in your body and being able to respond to that in a sexual way. So I do think sexual play can be a a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. I've definitely gotten more into practicing some like better breathing and breath work techniques, like Mm -hmm. while I'm, you know, engaging in any sort of sex play by myself or with others, but it's still something I'm, I'm learning and I think expanding on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's something I mean, there there is something so innately healing about sexual energy, period. Like you said, whether it's with self or with others. And um, hmm. you know what? So time out, Andrea, for the recording. So what's happening for me right now? I didn't know this was going to happen. Like I'm... I'm in the midst of healing some sexual trauma right now. And I didn't realize this conversation was going to like bring it to the surface so i'm sorry for like not being prepared <laughs> oh please think, don't apologize as you I, know no yeah apology. I, I think that's why i'm having a really hard time like interviewing you right now i didn't mm. i didn't even consider that that was going to happen well, wow. how can I how can I support you? Was it the stuff about minor attraction or no, no. It I th- it's just I I've really lost connection with my sexual energy and am on a journey to reconnect. Yeah. So oof. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for letting how me. How can I support you? We can we can pause and continue another time. We can talk yeah. about something else or we can go through it and, and have feelings come up. You tell me what yeah. you're comfortable with. I mean, I, I think I, I think I'd rather go through it, you know, and okay. um maybe like in this moment right now, coming back to the recording and just saying, I had just had to take a pause because I'm having some personal reactions and some I guess it's I guess it is shame, you know, for for being disconnected from my sexuality and that uh, a deep desire to reconnect mm. and 
being witness to you and and having this connection, I'm missing that for myself. You know, but it's it doesn't happen always. I think that's sort of like the the goal and the hope of the the connection that I would like to make. And I can't say that that's always present. And sometimes that's on me and sometimes it's on my partner and sometimes it's on like the state of the world. So, you know, with all this stuff going on right now, I'm definitely way more dissociated and like mm. not feeling super mm-hmm. sexual and connected to like anyone or anything because mm-hmm. it's easier to just get through the day or to get through work or be in kind of action mode. And mm-hmm. so I think that's an ongoing practice. It's not something that I'm like, I've got this connection and now I'm connected. It's right. like, right. it's a constant practice and like a constant learning. And that's something I try to echo to my clients too, is like, I know how hard the stuff is that they're trying to go through because I'm practicing it too. So right. if me with all of my degrees in this and resources and training still have to put effort into having good sex with my long-term partner is happening mm-hmm. for me. Of mm-hmm. course it's happening for you. Like this is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no a struggle for everyone. And I think the fact that, you know, you kind of had maybe a, a visceral reaction to some of that stuff we were talking about. To me, that just echoes the mind body connection that we were talking about. Right. Right. Like we store so much stuff in our body. So sometimes that's trauma, sometimes it's joy Mm -hmm. or whatever. And to Mm -hmm. be able to recognize, be aware and like feel what's happening and and name it sounds like you're on your way to, (laughs) you know, being connected to your body. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. And it's, uh, you know, this will, this podcast really, you know, obviously this is a place to highlight other folks work and the the one of the positive consequences of it has been like my own healing in so many different ways oh yeah I've cried on my podcast so many times oh yeah I I have too and it's this particular area is obviously more delicate and more private um for me anyway especially in not wanting to like I don't know not not wanting to call out (laughs) <laughs> call out any names of, of people who might have harmed me. Yeah. So, you know, for listeners listening for this right now, this is what I sound like when I'm speechless because I'm just I'm in it like I'm in it right now. And I I I think it's important to like share that process with people and let them know, <laughs> like you said, we're we're human, too. And we're working on this stuff simultaneously with our clients. Yeah. And for the for the folks listening who have had any, you know, body or visceral response to this, I think body work is so important. I've been frustrated with my area of practice for some time Mm. because in going to school to become a marriage family therapist, there's barely any training on embodied practice. Right. And so a lot of the training is focused like very, very in the head, very cerebral. And like, Mm -hmm. did I use that word right in that sentence? Yeah. Anyway, it's in the head. And so there is this lacking of that talking approach where talking can only go so far. And so if I'm in session with a client and I'm noticing that we're talking about something, but they're having a reaction, I'm not going to keep talking through it. Maybe we'll keep going forward, but I'll pause and I'll be like, 
tell me what's happening in your body. What sensations are you noticing? What do they look like? What, what color are they like? Mm -hmm. What's their consistency? And then maybe we'll even pause and do like a, a grounding exercise. So to me, that's where the sexuality, maybe spirituality stuff combines too, is grounding. So figuring out what makes you feel like reconnected to the present and to this world. So for me, it's nature, like standing outside on the ground and mm -hmm. leaning from side to side on the grass or picking a color that's around me and naming everything in the room or in nature of that color or going and literally, I love trees. I have a tree tattoo. So going and literally like touching the tree, <laughs> like, like I'm such a like tree hugger literally, but like touching the tree <laughs> and touching the leaves and like feeling the different like tactile sensations or grabbing one of my rocks and like feeling the sensations of that. So that's what makes me feel grounded. And mm -hmm. that may help for others where they may need other things that make them, you know, feel grounded. Mm -hmm. But that to me is crucial in everything, but especially if you're having sex and like you get triggered by something, whether it's you're worried about mm -hmm. your partner seeing your fat roll, or you're worried that you smell kind of funky, or you didn't do anything with your body hair, which you shouldn't have to, but you know, you're feeling self-conscious <laughs> about something mm -hmm. or a noise happens or somebody farts or like, or you have like, you know, your partner's trying to be sweet and you have a trauma trigger back to right. when someone that fucked you over did that to you. You need to figure out and learn these tools of like, what do I do mm -hmm. in that moment? And you can come back to yourself. You maybe just need a moment and you need a partner who can be with mm -hmm. you in that and respect right. the time. Right. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all that. And I, I too, I think what just grounded me in this experience was, you know, I was feeling like I, in these interviews, I feel like, well, I have to be the leader. I have to take care of my guest. And when I, when I like stepped into that vulnerability, you took the lead energetically and you were like, how can I help you? And so that was really grounding for me just relationally to have you That's have what you happens when you have that. two therapists. <laughs> I know, right? And that's what's, this is why my, only my, therapist only only therapists are my friends right now <laughs> basically because I need that level of 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 empathy that that not everybody can provide unless you've had that training so thank you for thank you for holding that with me what do you think has been most helpful for you in trying to reconnect with yourself first of all I think naming what actually happened so Essentially, the short story is I, I had a relationship with someone where I think physically everything was consensual, but spiritually and energetically it was not. And he mimicked my dad's sexuality. And I recently just just kind of recognized I was sexually abused as a child. I say just kind of because you want to you want to I just keep wanting to temper that. But but I, yeah, I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. And and what happened with that partner really, really was very painful and, and hurt me in, in, uh, in a really spiritual, traumatic way. Yeah. And, and so just oh, girl, now we're both crying. Right. <laughs> I'm, a, yeah. I'm a survivor as well. And for people listening, I think it's important to remember and acknowledge that like, no matter how informed you are, no matter how right. feminist you are, no matter how therapisty you are, like right. no matter if you're a badass bitch, like this can happen to anybody. 
Right. And you can be vulnerable to any kind of abuse. And mm-hmm. yeah, it fucking rocks your world. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, not, and not having awareness of like early childhood sexual abuse, mm-hmm. not having, I, well, well, the funny thing is, is that I knew it. And, and I, I told a therapist, I was like, I, I wonder if I was sexually abused. And, and she kind of, she, no, she didn't kind of, she downplayed it. And she was basically like, yeah, well, if you don't have any memories, you know, it probably didn't happen. And, you know, there was this movement in the, in the eighties with the Ugh. recovered memories of sexual abuse and, you know. Okay. So what Sarah's talking about is like, I guess in the eighties, there was a time when like a lot of people were uncovering trauma because therapists were like doing this regression therapy. And it mm-hmm. turned out that like some of the stuff hadn't happened, but Saying that you have to remember the trauma is so uninformed about trauma. Like you do not have to remember specifics. You do not have to re-go over the specifics to heal from it. You don't have to know all the details. You just have to connect with some of the feelings that are coming up for you around that time and that. Like that's it. So fuck that noise. Right, right. Which which I think part of the healing process will be allowing myself to feel an appropriate amount of anger towards that therapist for not not believing me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's tough. I mean, sometimes when I hear it too, my first when people don't have the memories, I still have that voice in my head of like, oh, but did it happen? Like, mm-hmm. and I just say it's not my place to, to question. Right, it. right. So even if it even if it is a made up memory for some reason, like if the feelings that are coming out are real, then we deal with the feelings. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea this is what was going to happen today. <laughs> How... We really went into it. I know, which is what happens here. But like, <laughs> but damn. Yeah. Ooh. Wow. I just. I feel really honored to like be sharing this space with you and, you know, just again, just the way that you, you've shown up right now. I'm just, I'm so appreciative of it. Oh, thank you. And I I appreciate it too. And I appreciate the vulnerability and I, I hope that listeners and I, I always assume my not that I assume my clients are listening to me because I'm like narcissistic but I like have right. to assume that they're going to tune in so everything I say and I put out there like I know that clients could potentially be listening yeah. and mm-hmm. we're taught as therapists to not divulge or share much of ourselves and I think mm-hmm. yeah you know like I said therapy doesn't isn't about us and times when I have shared or times when I have related to other folks have been some of the most healing times that those clients have reported to me because it's just real. Right. And especially with everything going on now, like we're all humans just trying to fucking make it through this crazy ass time. Right. And so, yeah, I don't want to lie and be like, everything's fine. Or I know when Mm -hmm. I'm coming back to the office or yeah, shit's, shit's hard. Hmm. Exactly. Well, we're like coming close to the end of the hour, and I want to at least make sure I ask you the questions. How do you feel about the term healer for you? I know how I feel about it for you, but you go. (laughs) I've never used that term for myself. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I, I do feel like I do healing work, 
and I hold space for people. I, I think I prefer the term like Sherpa or doula, I guess, yeah. of sorts. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I, I guess I have some negative connotations because whenever I hear people who like self-proclaim themselves as healers, yeah. mm-hmm. it's often these like narcissistic gurus who are like, I mm-hmm. heal you. Creating so, cults and shit. <laughs> yeah. Which like, mm-hmm. as we know, Chatsworth, I'm a fan of, but I think, yeah, I, I don't really connect with that, but mm-hmm. I hope that the work I'm doing is healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it has certainly healed me today. So <laughs> that I appreciate. I'm a healer. <laughs> yes. I'm going to say you are right. Cause yeah, it's, it is weird. It's narcissistic to put it on yourself in some ways, but I'm happy to put it on you. Oh, thank you. I'll take it. <laughs> How about wounded healer? How does that one strike you? Wounded healer? Well, we all are. I mean, if you're in this profession of therapy or, I mean, if you're a human, you've probably had some wounds. (laughs) So I think, yes, it's important as a therapist to do my own work and to work through stuff. And that doesn't mean if I'm helping someone with something that I've always completely worked it out for myself, Mm -hmm. but I do find it even more helpful when I'm sort of on the other side of things. But, you know, if, if I waited just to treat people who have been through everything I've been through, I probably wouldn't have a lot of clients because we're all so complex and all of the wound intersections. Mm -hmm. So I think it's inevitable and we have to, as therapists, practice what we preach and Mm -hmm. do the work ourselves, both so we can have empathy for our clients and understand how hard it is, but also so we're not spilling it onto our clients and not able Mm -hmm. to offer care. It's like the you probably use this metaphor too. Every therapist I know does, but it's like the airplane metaphor. You put your oxygen mask on first Mm -hmm, before you help mm -hmm. others. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. What was I going to say? Something to that. (laughs) My poor uh, editor is just going (laughs) to like, what the fuck did you just give me? That's what editors are for. (laughs) Sorry. That is what editors are for. Sorry, Andrea. Yeah, I just took this big deep breath because I do feel like some something released in the process of this conversation for me. And I I think one thing that I've found about like true, deep soul, spiritual type healing is it's not planned, is not planned at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've talked to energy healers and I go to therapy and all these things, but whenever I've had a real like soul healing experience, it's just spontaneously happens. And I feel like that happened for me today. <laughs> so, oh, I'm honored. <laughs> yeah, something something cleared. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so glad and hopefully for other listeners this maybe, you know, brought some something to you as well and yeah, I I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like I need to pay you now for a session. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, as we close this out, where where can folks find you? If you want to listen to my podcast, it's Sluts and Scholars, available anywhere you get your podcasts. If you are in California and would like therapy, I don't work with folks out of state, but always happy to give referrals. You can find me at nicolettavheidegger.com. I'm on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars. And thanks so much for having me. Is there anything else that you you want to share with listeners before we go that that maybe we didn't talk about? Yeah, maybe just since like 
we covered some heavy stuff. We can't always tie like a nice neat bow around it is what I tell my clients. But I usually at the end will say something like, what are you going to do today to take care of yourself? So for Mm -hmm. me, I'm going to go horse riding. Um, I ride horses and that's Mm. for me. And then I'm going to the beach. Oh, what are you going to do today? That's taking care of yourself. One of my favorite podcasts is called And That's Why We Drink, and it's a paranormal and true crime show, and they ha- they have a live show tonight online, oh. and one of my BFFs and I are going to, she's going to be on my iPad while this is on my computer, and we're going to watch it together. I need to listen. <laughs> Honestly, I actually am not a great podcast listener, oh, surprisingly, no. but the love true crime, so oh, that sounds it's, great. It's hilarious. The two, the two of them are just amazing so yeah so i'll i'll get some laughs tonight and i think that's going to be really really supportive awesome love it murder always helps (laughs) and we're out (laughs) okay so that was the end of my conversation with nicoletta and right now i want to transition you into the debrief So you will be hearing from my husband, Rich Bueno, who was on a previous episode of Conversations with a Wounded Healer. And you can now enjoy the debrief and hear where I am now. Hi, sweetie. Hello. (laughs) I caught you (laughs) (laughs) mid-gulp. I'll stop drinking coffee. Okay, okay. Well, to orient listeners to what we're doing here, I let you guys know at the beginning of this interview that it would be an interview with a therapist named Nicoletta, and then I would be debriefing with my sweet husband. And so here he is. This is Rich Buino again for folks who listen to his episode. Hello, hello. (laughs) So we just had this conversation upstairs and then I ran down into my podcast cave, as you call it. And what I want for, I guess what I want for listeners is I want to tell you where I am now versus where I was when this was recorded. I want to share why it was important for me to share this episode in in its entirety instead of edit it and make it sound clean and pretty. And I didn't want to do that alone. I wanted to do that with you because also you have been a part of this journey for healing my sexuality. And so I couldn't think of anybody else that I wanted to debrief this with. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. However, yeah. I can help. You can help by not fidgeting around. You've got the <laughs> the mic thing. Sorry. If you want to clip it so that it's staying in one place, that would be helpful. It's probably bouncing around. It is. Stop bouncing. Stop sipping coffee. Stop bouncing. You can sip your coffee. <laughs> anyway, so I guess the first question I have for you that we can kind of talk about and and break all this down is what was your response to hearing that conversation with Nicoletta? Well, in just re-listening to it, and thanks for the sneak preview, as well as I, I think you gave me the chance to listen to it back when, shortly after you recorded it, it's a powerful interview all around. And I, I think she's a fascinating guest too. But I, I think especially for the part where you clearly have a trauma reaction. Yeah. But quickly, one of my first thoughts was just just feeling for you knowing how you've been, what experiences you've been through, and how much of a struggle it has been. And Mm -hmm. knowing now, today, how you're in such a different place. And at the same time, I I just wanted to kind of shout out bravo to to your guest, 
to, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, clearly, I could tell just from her response and how she handled being able to help you pause and yeah. also offering, what can I do to support you? Just mm-hmm. using a, a trauma-informed practice. Right. I mean, I'm incredibly proud of you. I was thinking as mm-hmm. I was re-listening to the episode just now while walking our dog, thinking about, wow, not not only just being able to have the courage and going with your gut and your heart, I'm sure, to say, you know what, I don't want to scrub this mm-hmm. entire interview or you know, somehow clean it up and gloss over the challenges that that you've been through or your healing process. But this is what it's really all about. You know, the mm-hmm. podcast, it's, it's how can right. we work to help others and serve others while going on our life's journey, including healing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's great to hear the thing in, in its entirety. Thanks. I appreciate that. I think hearing from you that you're proud of me really on kind of the other side of this, I feel like I can take that in a different way. And the listeners will have just heard my conversation with Livia, where I really talk about what happened and going to treatment and and the Mm -hmm. Kundalini awakening and all of that. So yeah, I'm able to take it in in a different way and really appreciate it. Well, good. Very good. I I mean, I think the other thing relatedly that comes to mind for me is I mean, another aspect of the podcast and and what you model, what you're modeling for people. And I think what your guest was talking about in the same sort of way of providing a space, an opportunity, and an example for people. And and Mm -hmm. basically, you're modeling for people who are going through this, too, because Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are are a ton of people that this is going to resonate with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really important. So kudos for forging ahead that way and and for not only going deep, but boldly pushing it with your sharing. And that's helping people too. Thank you. Well, and I guess that that kind of leads into just really telling listeners that, you know, you named it for me, really. That is my intention of of sharing the entirety of the interview. And that's likely the most raw and uncensored I think I've probably ever been in an interview and I sat with it for a long time the first thing I did was send it to Andrea who's my editor and said what do you think you know because my initial reaction usually after I do an interview is like oh that sucked I was terrible or whatever and because this was so personal and so raw and so real you know I said what do you think and and she said what you said right that it's that it's a great model and then sharing it with you and you know I always have this question of is it too much because part of my childhood trauma was essentially being told I was too much. My emotions were too much. I was, you know, too hard to handle. And, you know, a lot of that was a a reaction to not being seen and not being heard and not being met with unconditional positive regard. And so I'm, I'm almost always questioning if it's too much. And, you know, on the other side of treatment, I can say that I feel more grounded in knowing that part of what my deal is in this lifetime is sharing the things that other people have fear about sharing, because literally every time I do it, somebody says, oh, I'm so glad you said that. Me too. And 
especially with what I went through in terms of sexual abuse, it's not obvious. It's not, I still don't even really have the full picture. And I, I do want to share with listeners at least the essence of what I kind of know, what I've what I've pieced together so far. But I do, I want you to know if you're if you're listening and you have dealt with sexual trauma, whether it be, you know, childhood sexual abuse or sexual assault as an adult or young young person, whatever it is. Like you're not alone. And just because we're therapists doesn't mean that we have it all figured out and that we know what we're doing in that realm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of the big things that I've been learning both on a personal level and and through experiences with you as well as just kind of a reckoning and awakening for maybe Mm -hmm. a lot of us. I mean, some people were probably much more enlightened in past years than than I, but of really understanding and starting to realize that the pervasiveness of these sorts of could be really toxic and harmful, traumatic experiences yeah. that that I mean, so many people go through, and we we can't see it. You know, you can see some if somebody broke their arm, but mm-hmm. these are among the many, many, many things that you you can't just see at the first mm-hmm. glance with people. Right. Right. And then I guess the next piece to kind of tell listeners where I am now, I feel like the kundalini awakening that I had that I described where there was this like black ink essentially streaming out of my second chakra. I really, truly feel like that was the trauma leaving my body. And pretty much right after that, I felt able to access again my sexual energy and The only way that I can really describe it, like, A, I felt disconnected from my sexual energy in that I had no libido. I had not only did I have no desire for any like sexual contact, I was actually quite resistant to it. And this is where, you know, Rich's healing kind of comes into play, too, is that I found myself able to essentially, because I tried at some point, I thought like I should be over this now and I should be able to have sex again. And I would push myself to do that. And I was able to do it in encounters with other people, but I was not able to do that in our relationship because the emotional connection was too threatening at that time. Having the emotional connection and the sexual connection, I couldn't do simultaneously. And it felt like I just, I'm doing this like pushing motion with my hands right now. I just wanted to push it away. And after I had this Kundalini awakening and that trauma left my body, that pushing was gone. And I guess, you know, to tell listeners too, I, I haven't officially come out on the podcast yet here as polyamorous. I think I've hinted to it in, in different places. And I I did share it on um, Tristan Terramino's podcast that I did last year, but haven't shared that here partly because I knew I was still in this space of, of healing this trauma. So I guess at, at this point, Rich, I don't know if you want to share like you're you were on the other side of this. You were on the receiving end of the trauma and what it was like for you, you like your own trauma process uh, standing next to mine. Well, sure. Very, very hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you were saying to me the other day, you know, you know I put you through a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. And I think maybe backing up a little bit where for listeners who aren't aware of well, what what is polyamory? It means mm-hmm. it means having a romantic 
and it could be sexual relationship with more than one person where all parties are aware. Mm -hmm. So the, the difference is between that versus being in a relationship committed with someone and then doing something where not all parties are in the know, which right. most people call cheating. <laughs> <laughs> right. Big difference. Um, right. Mm -hmm. So you were asking about my experience. I yeah. mean, I, I very much felt it was, a, you know, multi-year kind of journey in many ways. And it's a bit literally three years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and through my own individual therapy and, you know, the, the ongoing men's support group I'm part of and have been through many years that that's all helpful. But I mean, for the daily experience, like I could certainly know in my head to some degree, what gee, you know, you're really struggling and mm -hmm. this sort of stuff comes up and sort of like as it does in the podcast, uh, these things can just come up unexpectedly, like the triggers and right. the experience that's coming from it might be from something recent or something mm -hmm. really not, but there's always a, mm -hmm. a, some sort of connection. And to me, it, it makes me think of like grief yeah. where it, these these things can just blindside you. And I could know in my head that this is not about me, but, mm -hmm. you know, this is just part of a, a struggle. And, but still, it really hurt and, and hard to not feel, uh, take it personally or feel right. like, well, worrying and, and feeling like not only my heart going out to you for, for, for struggling, but, but just feeling like, well, gee, how can she get out of this? How can she get out of this struggle or, mm -hmm. or move beyond and get out of, to me, it felt like you were kind of in this bottomless pit or kind mm -hmm. of a big hole and not sure what I could do. And I was up on the surface and just yeah. not sure what tools I needed or if, if I could even do anything to help uh, mm -hmm. other than be patient and as best I could and try to be... Uh, look to taking care of myself. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess it's kind of important for me to share, I want to share what I have learned about what happened to me because I actually had supervision with one of my staff a couple, I can't remember, a couple weeks ago, and she was describing what a client was saying to her about her questions about potential sexual abuse in her history. And everything she said was what I was saying. And I was hit so deeply by that. And it, even though as a therapist, like I know what to look for, it was so hard to identify from the inside. And so I guess I really kind of want to share with listeners what what that uncovering experience was like and naming what was happening to be able to heal it and how important that was. So, you know, I, I mentioned very briefly in this interview with Nicoletta that I'd had a relationship with someone and the way that it ended, and I, I still can't articulate verbally why the ending was trauma. I can just tell you that the end of the relationship was trauma and I instantly... I had that repulsion to sex, anything with sex. I felt anytime I would like, I remember watching, we watched like the Ali Wong special and she talks about sex a lot in there. And I remember my skin crawling, just feeling like I, like I literally can't hear this. I'm, I'm, it was a trauma trigger. Right. And so 
I went through that experience for quite a long time. And and after a while, like really finally named that, okay, the end of this relationship was really traumatic. And, you know, there were so many things happened that, that over the past several years. And then finally, Livia connected us with her therapist, whose name is also Sarah, you know, because that's one thing Sarah specializes in is, is working on on sex with couples. And so we started seeing her and she had said to me, you have some listeners are gonna be like, this is fucking crazy, but this is how it happens. So I'm just telling y'all. So she said you because I explained to her what would happen for me and and the fact that there was like I had this like trauma sort of re-experiencing of this old lover's energy kind of coming at me and literally kind of <laughs> he would appear in other areas of my life, which told me that the the connection hadn't been severed yet. And she's like, you have a psychic energy attached to your vagina. You need to see my friend Daryl who can remove this attachment. And I'm like, OK, that sounds crazy. I have a session with Daryl and he was like, yep, yep, we can totally do this, yada, yada, yada. And he says, and, and this is all this is all over the phone, so there's no visual happening here. But so he just says to me at one point, do I have permission to look at your vagina? This is all like, he sees things in his head that's like clairvoyance, right? So do I have permission to look at your not, vagina? Not not a video call, right? No, not a video. Nope, all <laughs> just for audio, clarity. just for clarity, right? Not no, a Zoom meeting. <laughs> no random people were looking into my vagina. <laughs> So he says, do I have permission? I say yes. And he says, oh, your vagina is tilted energetically. And when I see that, that usually means that somebody was sexually abused as a child. Were you sexually abused? And I said, oh, energetic sexual abuse, which I believe I've talked about here on the podcast before. I was energetically sexually abused. You know, my dad has characteristics, had characteristics of sex addiction. You know, there's all sorts of stuff. And he said, no, you were touched. And that punched me in the gut because that was not something that I had ever considered. And, you know, I talked about it with my therapist and essentially I I, I kind of had a, not kind of, I did, had a spontaneous healing with her recognizing all of the different things in my childhood that I had been blaming myself for. Like, I'm not going to go into specifics, but there there were specific things that happened in childhood that I knew were products of sexual abuse, but I didn't I didn't have any memory of sexual abuse to back it up. And so when I went through this with my therapist, I was able to say I was sexually abused and it wasn't my fault. And that was so healing, but then again like I was still disconnected from my sexual energy. It Whatever one thing led to another and and ended up in treatment. And when I was in treatment, you know, listeners know I'm very spiritual and I pray and I I use tarot cards. And I was invited by the clinical director um, of this program I was in. She said, you know, just ask your guides, like, what is it that you need to know about this? She said, there's information that you don't know that you need to know. What is it that you need to know? And I said, to my guides, I said, if there's any piece of information that I need to know about the sexual abuse, please tell me in my dreams. And a couple days later, I had a dream where essentially I was shown that my dad had had sex with someone in front of me when I was an infant. And that information made all the sense to me because that completely tracks with what likely happened to me. And 
it's so easy for me to be like, oh, well, you know, that's not as big of a deal, whatever, yada, yada, yada. But but what I remember is in any biography of Michael Jackson, they talk about his sexual abuse was watching his brothers and his dad have sex with women while he was young. And we all know what happened there. (laughs) So... So really, those are the pieces that I've put together for myself. And I'll never know. My parents are both dead. And even if even if my dad were alive, I don't think he would tell me. I don't think he would remember because likely it was an encounter that wasn't very important to him if this happened. But those are the pieces that I've put together. And and it it doesn't even really matter if that's the exact story, but because it makes sense to me and helps me make sense of what happened and why I am where I am right now, that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you have shared in various times with me about what you've learned through or and, and these experiences and perceptions through therapy and treatment. And just to point out, I mean, that what was going through my head when you were sharing that is yeah, you you may never be able to know exactly what well, what were the episodes, what mm-hmm. what exactly did it, mm-hmm. as it were. But what matters really is is your perception and and your your experience. It's it's not mm-hmm. because it's not a fact finding mission. It's not right. so much about proving this happened, that happened. When it's this is what I'm feeling, and this is how these life experiences impacted me right yeah and it's not you know it's it's not even about blame either because I also know I also know that I had to go through all this stuff you know I I think I find it I've always found it interesting that I work in an addiction mainly right is my main thing but I've never been through physical addiction myself But having this experience of healing from trauma, I now understand what it's like to, like, lose yourself and and not be able to find your way back without some intense help. And so I know that this is this is what was supposed to happen. (laughs) And funny enough, that's that's one thing that kind of came to me when I was in the treatment experience was I chose this. This is what I'm supposed to go through, you know. So right right in this moment, I feel no anger. I feel no animosity. But part of my work in therapy has been allowing myself to get in touch with anger at both of my parents, not in a blaming way, but in a in a way to relieve myself of the pressure that I put on myself that really belongs to them. Hmm. Thanks a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part of your own healing process. Yeah. And your journey of, in order to further your own work and your, your own calling, is what I would think it is, mm-hmm. to, to help and heal other people. Mm-hmm. It's a necessary work to muddle through it. Not that you would wish it on yourself or anyone. Right. Necessary. Right. Well, I feel complete around this, but do you think there's anything else we need to say that would be helpful to listeners? Well, I, I think maybe just a, a recap or tell a little bit more about, unless you did in the last couple episodes, how, how you're doing now. Maybe you already covered that in the last episode, which... I did. Yeah. I did. Oh, I okay. covered with with Livia. But 
I mean, I can just share what I've come to over the past like week, really, since I did that episode, you know, learning NARM, being NARMed by my therapist, I've always had this skepticism about whether or not I can feel okay when everything around me is crumbling. And I kind of thought that was bullshit. And now I'm actually experiencing it. I mean, the world is literally burning and I'm okay. And Mm -hmm. I was asking my therapist, like, how do I know that I'm not spiritually bypassing right now? Like, how do I how do I know that I'm actually like feeling it and, and whatnot? And I know that I'm feeling it because I'm taking action. Like I'm doing things for the election because I really passionately feel like Biden needs to win or it literally might be the end of our democracy. I'm doing things for anti-racism, you know, I'm taking action. And I think if I were spiritually bypassing, I wouldn't be taking action. So I'm like, I'm kind of in awe that this is happening. I'm trying to, (laughs) my my therapist was saying like, you have to be able to take credit for the work that you've done to get here. But at the same time, of course, my trauma is like, well, I don't have a big head about it. So I'm trying to strike that balance right now, especially for listeners. (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's where I am. Yeah, well, and what you just said, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And, and it's wonderful. I'm so happy, of course, personally biased that I'm so <laughs> I'm happy that you are in such a place. Mm-hmm. And, and I can recognize and I can vouch for you that where you are, I think it's a, a big, big difference. Uh, not just from the past, but as you were saying, like, I don't know the spiritual bypass term. That's a new one mm-hmm. to me. But what I think that might mean is that you are not putting some sort of uh, psychological, spiritual blinders mm-hmm. on and right. just running through the roses saying, everything's mm-hmm. fine, la, la, la. Mm-hmm. You're aware of it and you're aware of what's happening in the world and that how, how hard things are and serious. And you're able to take care of yourself well enough and right. do things that are important and things that are passionate and helpful for your own healing and right. happiness. Mm-hmm. So well done. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess I also want to say for listeners too, and probably for myself, I haven't arrived. I mean, I think I keep having this like fantasy that I'm going to arrive and and no longer experience pain. Like that's not true. I still experience pain, but I'm able to tolerate it in a different way. And, you know, today I'm good. Tomorrow might not be. It's you know, one day at a time situation, but I'm really grateful that I'm here today. Well, I'm very grateful that you're here too today. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me, honey. I I really, like you had said before this, like, I don't really know what questions I have. What do you need from me? And I'm like, I just need, (laughs) I just need to be with someone in this. And, and I just appreciate being, being able to unpack this with you. And for you being willing to be vulnerable and share parts of yourself because our story is not separate, you know, and and so it's not lost on me that you're also experiencing a coming out by, you know, sharing about polyamory with listeners and, and all of that. So just thank you for being you. Of course. Yeah. I think it's worth sharing these aspects of everything we just talked about because I think it is helpful for people to know about whatever I can do to help further Mm -hmm. 
your healing process as well as the learning and understanding of how people who are helpers and healing professionals go about their lives and and working on healing themselves too and growing yeah well, well thanks thank for the opportunity <laughs> all righty we'll see you soon <laughs> big 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 hugs love and thanks to nicoletta and to my husband this was an unconventional episode and something that is really important and i i really appreciate you listeners i trust the reason i'm sharing this with you is i trust that you will be handling this all with care and i truly hope that this episode is healing and helpful for someone so thanks for listening and thanks as always to andrea clunder and the creative imposter studios for editing to liam o'donnell for the album art and to ben mueller for our theme music to find more information about Nicoletta and Sluts and Scholars, you can go to www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Until next time, bye-bye.